All right then, Thursday night edition, Philip Ward Show, and we are tracking a ton of big breaking news stories, and I'm looking at, well, how am I going to shape the program tonight, and do I want to give you more of my opinion? We're going to obviously get to the news, but I think that the news today really sort of supports the many different opinions that I've stated throughout the course of this program. You know, we've been covering and we've been right on top of the nursing home scandal that has gone on here in New York State and how Andrew Cuomo's leadership has led to thousands and thousands of New Yorkers dying when it didn't have to be that way. So COVID has been a massive story for the past year. It's all that anyone talks about anymore. And we've adapted to life living with COVID. And people are now six feet away. And you have, you, we have sporting stadiums that don't have, you know, that's only operating at 25% capacity. We have stores that you go in and you're wearing masks and you're encouraged to stay away from people. And at what point in time, though, are people going to get so fed up? and so frustrated with having to live with this, having to walk around with a mask on your face so that you have to talk like this, and thinking, wow, I, you know, I can't see my grandparents, I can't see if I have older family members, I can't see them. We had to adapt to holidays without having large gatherings when holidays should be a time where we actually come together and regardless of what's going on in the world of politics or your work life or I mean heck even your personal life come together and enjoy it as a family and and, and we had people that were afraid of COVID and couldn't even do that you know this is a we're in a time now where frustration and anger and I hate to say it but rage is just building and building and building so when it came to January 6th, and by the way, I'll get into the Cuomo stuff in a second. This sort of ties into it. When it came to the so-called insurrection at the Capitol, remember the Democrats only have three words that they use anymore. That's insurrection, incitement, and impeachment. You know, that, that, that stemmed from frustration, from just complete and utter anger and bitterness you know at barack hussein obama ah they're bitter they cling to religion and guns and no one wanted to understand why it happened no one wanted to get down to the bottom of the stories behind those people and their backgrounds and if they're out of a job if they're small business owners that have seen their businesses have to collapse because of covid or as you and you can argue this accurately under the excuse of COVID. And I say that for a reason. COVID has given the Democrat Party and Democrat leaders. Now, I'm not only going to single out Andrew Cuomo, governor of New York City, and that's it. But I'm looking at Governor Whitmer in Michigan and Governor. Well, remember, all of these Democrats followed the same exact policies as Andrew Cuomo did, putting COVID-positive patients into nursing homes. Well, why would you ever think that that's a good idea? Did they do that so that they could have more deaths in their states? Wow, geez, that sounds cynical, Philip. Well, does it really? Does anything that the Democrat Party does surprise you anymore? They don't care about life or death. They don't care about helping their constituents. They don't care about helping their states. The federal government, now that Joe Biden, Joe Unity Biden, is the president of the United States, these blue states know that they're going to get bailed out by the federal government. So what do they care? I would argue to you, I don't think they've cared about COVID once. I truly don't. Andrew Cuomo was joking about COVID with CN on CNN with his brother. Remember when he brought out that big... Uh, uh, swab looking Q-tip thing and they're laughing do they do they have to use this one to put it in that nose ha 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 and they think it's funny well meanwhile tens of thousands of New Yorkers died because of Cuomo's failed leadership and it goes back 
to the old saying that anything that Democrats accuse Republicans of, well, that is what Democrats are actually doing. Cuomo was the one who failed to lead. Whitmer in Michigan failed to lead. Newsom in California, for God's sake, there's like 1.5 million signatures recalling, wanting to recall Gavin Newsom as governor of California. I don't know if there's any way back for California, by the way. I would say if you're there, if you're in New, not New York, is starting to look the exact same way. You got to get out if you want freedom and liberty and the principles that we as conservatives hold near and dear. I've gone through them before. Individual liberty, economic opportunity, limited government, personal responsibility, security at home and abroad. Well, those are the principles that Gingrich uh, in 1994... And then he became Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, and the contract with America, well, that they highlighted that perfectly. And guess what? The American people turned out for it and said, you know what? That is something that I can agree with. Why wouldn't any, every single American want that? That's becoming far more, uh, we're not seeing it anymore in uh, California and in New York. I, it, it look at just taxes. I mean, my goodness gracious, New York and California literally mirror each other. You want to keep your money? Because, wow, what a crazy belief this is. Oh, you work hard for your money, and you should probably be able to keep it. Not in California, not in New York. That's not the way that they look at it. You need to take care of everybody else, even those people on welfare who, who, who don't want to look for jobs and who should for some reason be subsidized by you, people that actually work for a living. I mean, how insane have we become as a country? And I can add to the list, um, Wolf of Pennsylvania, Democrat governor there. Add in uh, J.B. Pritzker of Illinois. You know, there, there, there's just so many others. And I think, you know, when they uh, try to blame Donald Trump and say that, He's the one that mishandled COVID. Well, how can Cuomo possibly make that argument when Donald Trump supplied New York with the Javits Center, mobilized it into a COVID working hospital for COVID patients? Then on top of that, he brings in the USNS Comfort that says, listen, you can put COVID patients here. And Andrew Cuomo wanted nothing to do with any of it. Well, why was that? Because he couldn't possibly, in the build-up to our election, give Donald Trump and the federal government any sort of credit whatsoever. Now think, how disgusting is that? Well, people were dying on Andrew Cuomo's watch. Did he care? No. Now, the New York Post, let me just sort of, uh, before I get to the exclusive that's just breaking right now, this is sort of, I want to lay out the timeline of how Andrew Cuomo's day has gone. And by the way, to this very point now, at, at this exact time, awfully late here on uh, February 11th, we have still not heard anything from Andrew Cuomo. At least I haven't. That's related to this nursing home scandal. Now remember, Letitia James, I believe it was, uh, it was either last week or the week before that. I do have the papers in front of me. Here, the report came out. This was January 28th. Uh, remember, the report came out in the New York Times. New York severely undercounted virus deaths in nursing home, report says. So we have that. Now, on top of this report, we have another one that came out. This was late last night that this came out, and this is in the New York Post. Here's the headline. Cuomo sets up COVID-19 uh, COVID only nursing homes. The Cuomo, this is by Carl uh, Capanile and Bernadette Hogan. Uh, the Cuomo administration has quietly set up 19 COVID-19 only nursing homes throughout the state to treat patients recovering from the killer bug who are discharged from hospitals. State Health Commissioner Howard Zucker revealed the establishment of the coronavirus-only nursing homes in a 16-page letter sent to the state legislature on Wednesday. 
which was his response to a series of questions submitted by lawmakers who chair committees overseeing nursing homes. Now remember, Governor Cuomo and his health department came under fierce criticism last spring during the worst of the COVID-19 outbreak when thousands of recovering coronavirus patients were released from hospitals and sent to nursing homes. So that comes out yesterday. Now the New York Post writes a uh, edit the New York Post editorial board writes uh, uh, op-ed today. Cuomo creates COVID-only homes after thousands died. So think about this, right? What if it was Donald Trump and he ordered every one of the governors throughout the states, hey, it looks like the best way to mitigate the spread of COVID is to put coronavirus positive patients, take them out of the hospitals and put them in nursing homes. And if you think that that was a good idea and that the mainstream media, now obviously we know what the result of that was going to be. Thousands were going to die as they did because of Andrew Cuomo's executive order and the other sort of mainstream uh, Democrat governors all throughout the country. We know that they died. And as Andrew Cuomo puts it, who cares? They died. Who cares? You know, who cares about it? They died. Who cares the percentage? They died. Well, if Donald Trump did that, you would have heard nonstop 24-7 coverage of it in the mainstream media all throughout. But the coverage of Andrew Cuomo has been just incredibly different. They praised him. They said this is the way to do it. Fauci back in July of 2020 Follow what New York did. They did it correctly, is what Fauci said. By the way, if you don't think that Fauci's a liberal Democrat at this point in time, then it, it, honestly, just just check it out. Just look at how he uh, talks to Republicans. Look at how he talks to Democrats. Look at how he goes on Rachel Maddow's show and says, oh, I love what you're doing. I really do. Then he says when uh, Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio, a Republican, was questioning Fauci and saying, so Aren't riots, if this is happening, isn't that going to spread COVID more? I'm not going to opine on that, Mr. Jordan. And he refused to do it. Again, he's a liberal Democrat. He gave nothing to the Republicans. It was almost like he was a, a weasel that was planted into the Trump administration to ensure that Donald Trump loses. Maybe that's harsh to say. It's how I feel at this point in time. So anyway... Back to the New York Post op-ed by the editorial board. Well, what a great idea. New York has created COVID-only nursing homes across the state to treat still positive patients after their discharge from hospitals. If only Team Cuomo had moved to do it before thousands of seniors died after the state forced homes to take in COVID-positive patients, forbidding them even from testing for the virus. State Health Commissioner Howard Zucker, uh, again in that letter, uh, said that they're setting up COVID-only homes and they were setting them up in November. The homes were established to allow the transfer of medically stable but persistently positive COVID-19 nursing home eligible patients from Article 28 hospitals to these nursing homes to further their recovery prior to discharge to home or another nursing home. He gave no details beyond noting 19 such homes with a total of 1,941 beds. Well, why didn't the state create COVID-only homes nearly a year ago, as some other states did? And I, I think that's a perfectly fine question. Why didn't they? Early in the pandemic, the senators for Medicare and Medicaid services waived regulations to make their creation possible allowing the temporary use of buildings as skilled nursing facilities and lifting limits on transfers and discharges. The state even denied the request of nursing home operators to send their positive patients to the hospitals. The feds, the federal government, Donald Trump, set up at the Javits Center and on the USNS Comfort. And by the way, Zucker's admission that some patients are persistently positive contradicts his department's whitewashing July report that absolved itself of responsibility after the March 25th mandate led to fatal outbreaks at previously COVID-free 
nursing homes. So there's two hits from the New York Post on Andrew Cuomo and his administration. Now the AP, though, got involved as well. AP exclusive. Records show more than 9,000 recovering coronavirus patients in New York were released from hospitals into nursing homes under a controversial state order. Now, of course, the AP is going to have to write it like that, controversial, not downright wrong and led to death as far as the order goes, but they have to say controversial because they're a liberal publication. Bernard Condone and Jennifer Peltz writing, more than the 9,000 recovering COVID patients in nursing homes were released from hospitals into nursing homes early in the pandemic uh, under the directive that was scraped amid criticism and accelerated outbreaks. This are by, uh, according to new uh, uh, records that the uh, AP obtained. The new number of 9,056 recovering patients sent to hundreds of nursing homes. Now, this number is important because it's more than 40,000 higher than what the state health department previously released. And it raises new questions as to whether a March 25th directive from Andrew Cuomo's administration helped spread sickness and death among residents. The lack of transparency in the metting out of bits of important data has undermined our ability to both recognize the scope and severity of what's going on and address it. That was Richard Mollett, the executive director of the Long-Term Care Communication Coalition. Now, these new figures are coming out, right? And um, when the Cuomo administration had a reply uh, to the AP's Freedom of Information request from May, the State Health Department this week released two figures, a previously disclosed count of 6,327 admissions of patients directly from hospitals and a new count of 2,729 readmissions, quotes, by the way, of patients sent back from a hospital to the nursing home where they had lived before. Okay, so March 25th is the most important date to remember here because that's when Cuomo gave the order that COVID-positive patients were going into the nursing homes. Now, remember, we've, we've heard him blame who donald trump we've heard him blame cdc guidelines we've heard him blame new yorkers for stopping the not stopping the spread for not wearing masks for not wearing ppe uh uh correctly we've heard him blame everyone else except himself and by the way he's never going to blame himself either why would he do that he's got cover uh cover from the uh, mainstream media he even got an emmy for God's sake. On top of that, he wrote a book about how to lead in a time of crisis or whatever it's called. This report, though, that just came out now in the New York Post is beyond damning for Andrew Cuomo. Here's the headline. Cuomo aide admits now they hid nursing home data so the feds wouldn't find out okay wait a minute here so they're hiding evidence wow that's interesting governor andrew cuomo's top aide privately listen to this now apologized to who the the families of new yorkers that died from his order no privately apologized to democratic lawmakers for withholding the state's nursing home death toll from COVID-19, saying that we froze out of fear that the true numbers would be used against us by federal prosecutors. Can you believe that? They were hiding their numbers, hiding data, hiding evidence, because Andrew Cuomo's March 25th order to put COVID patients into nursing homes leading to thousands of new yorkers dying that they were scared that it would be used against them by the federal government how about that the stunning admission of a cover-up was made by secretary to the governor melissa de rosa 
during a video conference call with state Democratic leaders. By the way, only Democrats? Only de- well, Aren't we supposed to have unity right now? Joe Unity Biden? Or how about, let's get through this. Pa- Remember from the very beginning of the pandemic, we were hearing, oh, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or if you're a, a Republican, you should come together. We have an ongoing threat now, the invisible enemy, COVID-19. Why don't we just come together and beat that? Then we can focus on the election. Then we can focus about policy. Then we can focus on helping the American people. None of that has happened. The only thing the Democrats have done when it's come to COVID is politicize it. Joe Biden just ran a campaign on the president's mishandling of COVID. Did he ever offer to help Trump? No. Did he want, did the uh, states who had Democrat governors want help from the federal government? No. They moaned and complained and whined about it and said that Trump mishandled COVID. Well, prime example, right here in New York State. We have the USNS Comfort that was here. You can use it. Put COVID patients into there. That's what it's for. Javits Center, same exact thing. But because Donald Trump was on top of things, and because Donald Trump wanted to end COVID, and by the way, Operation Warp Speed, what a tremendous success. You will never be able to take that away from Donald Trump. A vaccine by Moderna, a vaccine by Pfizer. Those are incredible accomplishments for the United States of America. None of that happened under Joe Biden. All of that happened under Donald Trump. Now, continue. Uh, because I, I, just, I couldn't believe this. When I was reading it, I couldn't believe it. DeRosa saying to, to, to the Democrat leaders in which she said, the Cuomo administration had rebuffed a legislative request for the tally in August because, listen to this now, right around the same time, then-President Donald Trump turns this into a giant political political football. He starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing home, DeRosa says. He starts going after New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, starts going after California Governor Gavin Newsom, starts going after Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. In addition to attacking Cuomo's fellow Democratic governors, DeRossi said, DeRossa, by the way, I don't know how to pronounce it, DeRossa, um, she said, in addition to that, Trump directs the Department of Justice to do an investigation into us. Listen to this now. And basically, we froze. We froze. Because then we were in a position where we weren't sure if what we were going to give the Department of Justice or what we give to you guys, what we start saying was going to be used against us while we weren't sure if there was going to be an investigation. That played a very large role into this. How about, take that all in. Think about that. The number of, of deaths from COVID in nursing homes for putting COVID positive patients into nursing homes, that number was suppressed. That data, they didn't want to give over that data because of fear of the federal government, the Department of Justice. They didn't want an investigation. Now, DeRosa asked for a little bit of appreciation of the context and offered what appears to be the Cuomo administration's first apology for its handling of nursing homes amid the pandemic. We do apologize, she says. I do understand the position that you were put in. I know that it is not fair. It was not our intention to put you in that political position. Listen to this. With the Republicans. With the Republicans. We're sorry we brought criticism upon you. We're sorry we gave them an opportunity to attack you when it came to COVID. An opportunity for them to say, well, they're Democrats. 
Look at what our Democrat governor is doing. She says, we apologize for that. Now, I have to give some Democrats credit here. Assembly Health Committee Chairman Richard Gottfried immediately rejected DeRosa's expression of remorse. He says, I don't have enough time today to explain all the reasons why I don't give that any credit at all. State Senate Aging Committee Chair uh, Chairwoman Rachel May says, and who, by the way, who was battered during her re-election bid last year over the issue of nursing home deaths, uh, says, and the issue for me, the biggest issue of all is feeling like I needed to defend or at least not attack an administration that was appearing to be covering something up. And in a pandemic, when you want the public to trust the public health officials, and there is this clear feeling, feeling that they're not coming, they're not being forthcoming with you. That is really, really hard, and it remains difficult. Assemblywoman Ron, uh, or excuse me, Assemblyman Ron Kim, Democrat from Queens, took part in the call, said that the uh, DeRosa remarks sounded like they admitted that they were trying to dodge having any incriminating evidence that might put the administration or the Department of, of Health in further trouble with the Department of Justice. That's how I understand the reasoning of why they were unable to share in real time the data. They had to make sure that the state was protected against a federal investigation. Now, Kim's uncle is presumed to have died from COVID-19 in nursing homes, said he wasn't satisfied with DeRosa's apology. It's not enough how contrite they are with us. They need to show that to the public and the families, and they haven't done that. Janice Dean, by the way, who's a Fox News meteorologist, remember, she's just a weather lady, says uh, the Democrat. Said, I believe Andrew Cuomo actually said, who, she's just a weather lady, who cares, right? Just like, who they died, who cares? She said, she... Um, Today was, uh, this is from her, that uh, it was supposed to be her in-law's 60th wedding anniversary. I mean, that's just incredible, by the way. And they're not here because they died because of Andrew Cuomo's order to put COVID patients into the nursing homes. She's been on top of this from the very beginning. She's been saying that this governor needs to resign. This governor, you know, is not helping New Yorkers. She said, quote, I believe all of them should go to jail. And it's hard to disagree with that sentiment. I mean, this is beyond shocking. It's by all means, this is a bombshell. They know they did wrong. They know their order was wrong. And they did it anyway. And they never took responsibility for any of it. How do you look at some now think about this, right? And by the way, God, you know, I thank God that I haven't um, had any family member die from COVID. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I put myself into Janice Dean's shoes and I think, you know, here's my, what if I had in-laws and, and they were put into COVID, uh, they were in the nursing homes and COVID positive patients get put in there. And then, wow, wow, all these people start dying. All of our elderly population start dying because they start getting COVID. How do you, how do you even begin to, to move on from that? and think that it, it, these deaths did not have to happen, but they did. And then you have a governor that says that after implementing that order on March 25th, doesn't take responsibility for it, shows no empathy to the people that have died and says, quote, who cares? They died. I, 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 disgusting, appalling, it, it, it just no remorse whatsoever. I don't have the proper words to describe how angry and frustrated I am with Andrew Cuomo. And I was one of the lucky people here that didn't have a family member or a friend that I knew that died from COVID. 
So, and if I'm this enraged, I can't believe how enraged people that actually had family members and friends died from COVID because of Andrew Cuomo's executive order. That is a mishandling of COVID. This is failure of leadership. Yet he gets an Emmy and yet he gets praise from the mainstream media. He's joking about it with his brother on CNN. It's downright disgusting. Like he says, right? Who cares? Who cares they died? It's despicable. It really is. Now, COVID, stick on the topic of COVID for a second here. The New York Post actually wrote another article today. Listen to this. Texas boy, 12 years old now, 12 years old, hangs himself after battling depression amid COVID-19. How sad is that headline? Honestly, a 12-year-old Texas boy who felt sad and lonely amid the COVID lockdown uh, and the measures of the COVID lockdown hanged himself, his father revealed in a report. Hayden Hunstable of Alito, Aleto, Texas, I'm not sure how to say it, took his own life three days before his 13th birthday in April 2020. This, the reason they give is he didn't know how to deal with the isolation and the depression when the emerging disease caused a nationwide shutdown. The boy's nine-year-old sister, Kinley, found him. Think about this. You're a nine-year-old girl and you walk in to your 12-year-old brother's bedroom and see him hanging there, dead. <laughs> Breaks your heart. Hayden's heartbroken dad, Brad, 42 years old now, says, COVID killed my son. I think Hayden would still be alive today if COVID had never happened. I had no idea he was struggling or depressed. He was such a happy kid and he loved his friends. He loved his family. On April 17th, Brad says, the water went out in the family's home and Brad's father came over and Hayden helped them fix the problem. By the way, um, uh, he says uh, that it was a beautiful sunny day and I gave him a hug and a kiss on the head. Then when my dad left, there was just Kinley and Hayden at home. There was, uh, 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 then when my dad left, I wanted to make sure that I uh, get this right, calling the pandemic. Okay, yeah. Um, then when uh, the dad left, just me and Kinley and Hayden at home, there was only a 30-minute window. Hayden had gone upstairs. Then my daughter ran downstairs and said Hayden had hung himself. I think about that. Here comes a nine-year-old girl comes running down the stairs. He hung himself, Dad. It is my our our your son, my my brother, twelve years old, is hanging there. Brad said he he ran upstairs, performed CPR, but couldn't save him. He was gone. I saw something horrific that day, and I don't wish it upon anybody. I still get nightmares about it. The dad said his son was hit hard by the lockdown. Made it impossible to hang out with his friends, and he took a strong dislike to virtual learning. He loved football. He loved being around people. He was very social. He was a little guy, but he had the heart of a lion. He was beloved by his friends and his family. He did chores around the house, and we uh, we got him a, this uh, monitor, which he broke, by the way. He said we'll get him a cheaper one in April because it was his birthday. And on April 21st, he wanted to play with his friends. When police investigated the boy's death, they found that he had broken this new monitor. So basically, the father got him a... Uh, a curved monitor for 
Christmas in 2019. So and uh, he threw a game controller at it. And if you're a little boy having played video games like I have, you can understand the frustration of a game. So they said, you know, you do chores around the house, we'll get you a new one. So they get him a new one. And this is sad as well. When the police investigated the boy's death, they found he broke the new monitor too. He said, I don't know if he was scared or about getting into trouble or anxious or about not being able to speak to his friends and ruining his birthday. Either did it in an impulsive anger or he got himself in a situation he just couldn't get out of. This Now this sentence, this paragraph here truly breaks my heart. Brad says, he was my best friend. We were buddies. I still cry every day. And I can't change what happened. Hayden is a hero, though. Because he, I think he has had already saved so many people across the world. I just hope I can do him justice. He says he believes that his son had been taught about, if his son had been taught about depression and how to beat it, he might have been saved. As a result of the tragedy, Brad is now on a mission to address what he believes is a uh, mental a mental health tsunami that's been triggered by the pandemic. He's also, by the way, made a short film. That film is called Almost 13, which shares Hayden's story. Matt Walsh, who writes in the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's um, publication, says, and I think he sums it up perfectly, I hate, hate the adults who forced our children to stay locked away for a year so that they, the adults, could feel safe. I really do hate them. I'll never forgive them for the damage that their cowardice and fear has done to an entire generation of children. I think it highlights what we've been dealing with here. The frustration, the anger, the depression. It, 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 someone's got to come out and say it. If it's going to be me, it's going to be me. COVID lockdowns have to stop. COVID policies have to stop. CDC guidelines have to stop. If you are so afraid of COVID, stay at home. Don't come out of your house. But we have got to get back to normal life. And the thing that scares me the most about this Biden administration and the 1,438 days that we have left in it is I think he is going to carry this out for as long as he possibly can. I really believe that. This am amazing amount of power that Democrats have now, you better believe they don't want to relinquish it. And why would they? This is what they need. This is what they thrive on. This is what they, they, they have got to have in their life is power. So sad. And, uh, you know, my heart breaks. And I uh, say to the uh, family of Hayden uh, Hunstable, I want to make sure I get the name right, Hayden Hunstable, um, and his, you know, his father, Brad, his whole entire family, yeah, may he rest in peace and God bless him. God look over uh, the Hunstable family. Okay, well, let's, uh, I don't know if you, we've been getting into the news of the day, but uh, it's been, you know, I've given a ton of opinions. So let's get into the news. Impeachment, day three. Thank God that they're finally done, the impeachment managers. Uh, Fox News, five moments from day three as Democrats concluded their impeachment case. Uh, Democratic impeachment prosecutors use rioters' words against Trump. We were invited here, a rioter can be heard yelling in one clip. We were invited by the President of the United States. In another video, rioters are inside the Capitol discussing calling Trump personally to let him know what they've done. He'll be happy, uh, one, riot, one supporter said. We're fighting for Trump. Ted Lieu, one of the House impeachment managers, quoting Republicans turning on Trump. Uh, he uh, used comments by Republicans. He pointed to former White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, who said what happened on Capitol Hill was a direct result of him poisoning the minds of people with the lies and fraud. 
quoted defense secretary, former defense secretary James Mattis, Mad Dog, Mad Dog Mattis, uh, saying the Capitol riot was fomented by Trump. This was echoed by former Trump official after former Trump official, noting that 16 Trump officials resigned in the wake of the attack. Uh, impeachment managers then said Congress will have no one to blame but ourselves if Trump isn't convicted and incites a repeat attack. Uh, attack excuse me. Uh, Lou also saying that Trump intended for Capitol riot to happen. Okay, Ted Lou, we know President Trump didn't make a mistake because you see, when you or I make a mistake and something very bad happens, we would show remorse. We would accept responsibility. That's a lie because Ted Lieu was pushing the Russian conspiracy for all three years that we went through it. So he's lying to you. He's never apologized about it. He's a moron, idiot, lying, stupid piece of garbage. He intended what happened on January 6th. How do we know? He told us, Ted Lieu says. Uh, thankfully, it's all. Hey, that's basically all you need to know about that. Now, what's what's awfully funny, though, about impeachment and everything that they're saying is that Trump's language incited this, right? There's an interesting article today, comes from The Federalist. Five times Joe Biden openly urged violence against political, political opponents. So let me tell you something. If Donald Trump's being impeached, then House Republicans, if they get control of the House next year, they're going to have to impeach Biden for his incendiary language. Number one, in 2018, Biden fantasized about hurting North Dakota Republican Senator Kevin Kramer, who was then challenging a Democratic incumbent. Quote, I'd like to give him a high threshold of pain. I'm serious. I'm really serious, said Joe Unity Biden. He said it again. Biden made the same remark at a campaign event for, uh, for the state's Democratic Senator Heidi Heidkamp encouraging the president of a trade union in attendance to show Kramer a threshold of pain. How about this? In 2020, Biden told a Detroit factory worker, remember this? He said, you're full of, you know what, the S word. Challenged him to go outside with me. 2016, he said he wanted to take Trump behind a gym. And in 2018, Biden doubled down on his 2016 remark. I'd like to take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him, Joe Biden said. So, Joe Unity Biden, if you're following the left's standards, has got to be impeached for that awful, disgusting, downright vile, incendiary language. And by the way, you ever hear Donald Trump said he wants to beat the hell out of Joe Biden? Oh, that's right. No, I haven't either. Um, You got, now we'll get into, uh, the project, I'll call it the, I'll call it the projects, I'm not that kind of guy, but here's something that's awfully interesting. Now, there's two projects that are mainstream in this country uh, right now, and I'm talking about project like group projects. One is Project Veritas that we highlight on this program a lot because they do incredible work. Randomly today, the Project Veritas account on Twitter has been suspended. Okay, that's weird. I wonder why that is. The New York Daily News, writing Project Veritas, a right-wing organization, permanently banned from Twitter. James O'Keefe, uh, the group's founder, was also suspended on Thursday until he removed content that repeatedly shared another user's private information. Twitter did not cite specific tweets but said the Project Veritas account was banned for the same reason. The account was permanently suspended for repeated violations of Twitter's private information policy. By the way, the only reason, and um, according to the group's Telegram account, it published a video on Thursday where it accosted a high-level Facebook employee at their home. O'Keefe reportedly said he will not delete the tweets and will appeal both bans. Now, the only reason, and they'll give you anything under the sun as a reason for why they did this, is because Project Veritas already exposed Twitter, already exposed Facebook, continue it. They've exposed PBS, they've exposed CNN, 
They've exposed Bernie Sanders' campaign. They exposed left-wing Democrat people and organizations and Twitter because they are one of them and because big tech is continuously censoring conservatives. That's the reason why they banned the account. This is amazing now. Free speech doesn't mean a thing to the Democrat Party. Now, here's another project that's in the uh, mainstream right now, Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project is composed of never-Trump Republicans. They claim that they're Republicans, but then the, everything that they've advocated for over the years, well, Donald Trump actually implemented that as president, and they could not go along with that. No way, no how. So, John Weaver is this guy's name. And by the way, I'm glad that this is this is coming out now because we've been reporting on it on this program for a long while, at least a month now, we've been talking about this. So now the Intelligencer in New York Magazine comes out with this story today. The Predator in the Lincoln Project. John Weaver, who by the way is one of the co-founders of the Lincoln Project, used his power to get jobs for young men he allegedly harassed. And guess what? His colleagues were warned and they did nothing. Alex Johnson was a senior at the University of Texas at Austin pursuing a career in politics when he first heard from John Weaver, the legendary Republican operative living nearby. It started with a direct message on Twitter. I just didn't really think anything of it, Johnson said. But then, you know, his intentions became clear. Weaver, who worked on both Senator John McCain's presidential campaigns, uh, worked on both of them, started by discussing politics or college football before asking Johnson about his dating life and sexual interests. Now, right then and there, wouldn't you think, what does this have anything to do with politics? And by the way, you'll see what it has to do with it because the Democrats are, are, are always, always the party of pedophiles. It's just honestly true. That's what they are. And by the way, things drive people in life. But the two biggest, the, the, well, you can add the three biggest things that drive people in life, money, sex, and power. That's true with every single situation there is in life. Now, Weaver said, uh, he wrote a message in, message in December of 2018. said, I want to see you later, Weaver said to this uh, senior at the University of Texas, Johnson. says, you interested in getting together, working together? Well, the pattern continued in 2020 when Weaver reached out to Johnson about working for a new political action committee. You guessed it, that he co-founded the Lincoln Project. Weaver started the group with some of the biggest name and names in Republican politics to defeat Donald Trump. Joining him was Steve Schmidt, a Karl Rove protege during George W. Bush's re-election campaign, known for his no-holds-barred style of attack. By the way, this is the guy who keeps attacking groups on Twitter, if they even uh, want to talk to Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz or Donald Trump or want anything to do with them or honestly just want to be a business in the United States that and that uh, joins and believes in free speech and actually cares about Republicans still. Well, yeah, he goes and attacks them on Twitter. He's a disgusting human being. So joining them was another McCain veteran, Reed Gallen. And the Republican strategist, Rick Wilson, who says, you elitist with your maps on CNN, by the way, who says he's a Republican. And that's how he really feels about Republicans. Other co-founders included the Republican super lawyer, George Conway. That's the husband of Kellyanne Conway, who is a, a, he's a Democrat through and through. Call him what he is. As well as veteran Republican. It's enough, enough of that. Mike Madrid, Ron Steslow, and Jennifer Horn. They're, they're not Republicans. It's as simple as that. It didn't take long for this Lincoln project to become a new haven for, or a haven, excuse me, for never Trump Republicans and capture the political world's attention with its brutal 
television ads against the president. The uh, super PAC, the buzz that it created, led to big business, which raised more than $87 million in the 2020 election cycle, according to the Federal Election Commission records. Much of the money was paid to, now listen to this, firms run by the Lincoln Project co-founders, including nearly $25 million to Summit Strategic, uh, strategic excuse me, co Communications, a firm run by Gallen. More than $20 million were paid to Tusk Digital, run by Ron Steslow, which employed people who worked as contractors at the Lincoln Project. Now listen to this. So Weaver wrote to Johnson on April 23rd. Remember, Weaver's the co-founder. Johnson's the senior from the University of Texas. Would like to put you in touch with some of our folks, suggesting that Johnson could be an intern. 15 minutes later, he added, on your walk, think about worshiping a big, you better believe I can't say that on radio, but you can guess what he said. Think about worshiping a big blank and having yours worshipped. And you, I'm not sure if I can even say that word, till you beg. Okay, so I'm pretty sure you can you get what uh, he's saying here. By the way, it's in New York Magazine, The Intelligencer, um, if you want to read it. Weaver also made phone calls to Johnson. Once he said Weaver called him to ask him his thoughts on the Lincoln Project and its ads, then quickly segued into what felt like an attempt at phone sex. We were talking about the Lincoln Project and maybe getting me involved, and of course, I think that's awesome. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. Johnson then said, Weaver asked him, when's the last time you blanked off? Again, very tough to tell you what he's really saying here on radio. Johnson said he'd rarely answered Weaver's calls after that. Despite his discomfort with the Lincoln Project's co-founder, he took the internship there and started in July 2020. This was a big opportunity, in my view, to make a difference in the political world, Johnson said. So I was pretty quick to say yes. Weaver, though, continued harassing Johnson. Are you top, bottom, versa? He wrote in one message. His messages never stopped, Johnson said. And I would play along just to be nice because, I mean, I, 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 he's important. Like, he has the strings and we operate in the same kind of political culture of being never Trumpers. Johnson said he didn't want to tell Lincoln Project Management about Weaver, fearing retribution if he accused one of the company's co-founders of harassment. I was like, oh my gosh, if I say something wrong, they're going to let me go or get rid of me. Well, Johnson didn't know, though, is the Lincoln Project had already been told Weaver was preying on young men in and outside of the company. Besides this happening, on June 27th, a person working at the Lincoln Project sent an email to co-founder Steslow that reported 10 allegations of Weaver's harassing men, including at least one employee at the Lincoln Project. Three independently described the contents of the email to the intelligencer and said it warned Weaver could be using his position at the company to make promises of career advancement to prey on young men. Uh, you think? The complaint called Weaver's predatory behavior an immediate threat to the company that if it became public could render a death blow to the Lincoln Project's reputation. By the way, so think about that sentence. If this got out of the open, it could render a death blow to the Lincoln Project's reputation. So why is it coming out now in February? It couldn't have come out in November. This was happening in June and April. But no one said a thing. No one cared about it. Why? Oh, that's right. Because the Lincoln Project were helping to take down Donald Trump. That's why it couldn't have come out earlier. As the complaint noted, the Lincoln Project itself was attacking Trump as a sexual predator. Steslow raised the email with his fellow co-founder Gallen and corporate counsel Matthew Sanderson, the AP, reporting that. Yet Weaver's harassment continued. 
Schmidt told the intelligencer, this is Steve Schmidt, another co-founder, bald bag of garbage on uh, MSDNC, calls himself a Republican. He ain't a Republican. There is no human being, no person involved with the Lincoln Project who made any type of allegation of any type of inappropriate communication that would have triggered an HR investigation or the hiring of an outside counsel to conduct such an investigation. There were zero allegations, complaints, media inter, in, uh, interrogatories directed to the Lincoln Project without any specificity at any time about any misconduct towards any person. Schmidt also said that all the Lincoln Project, that uh, all they heard was chatter in early June, July that Weaver, who is married to a woman, was gay. Well, he's a gay pedophile, actually. Around this time, sources say, Reporters were asking Lincoln Project members about Weaver. Schmidt noted the rumors date back to at least 1988 when Weaver's nemesis in Texas, Carl Rove, the architect Carl Rove, reportedly spread a rumor that Weaver took a pass at a male campaign staffer. He said the Lincoln Project called Weaver to warn him of what Schmidt labeled the rumors and asked Weaver if he needed to tell them anything else. I said, you need to know that this is out there. Is there anything that we need to know? Schmidt said, uh, to which Weaver replied. He said, no, it's, it's all BS. It's not true. The company's leaders told the New York Times in January they had not been aware of such allegations until they publicly surfaced that month, contrary to the complaint received and circulated by Steslow. The Times reported Weaver had sent messages that ranged from provocative to sexually explicit, listen to this now, to 21 men going back years, including one recipient that was 14 years old, the party of pedophiles. Four former members of the Lincoln Project called on the company to free them to speak about Weaver. Lincoln Project contractors and employees are calling on the organization to release anyone with knowledge of harassment who has, has been harassed by John Weaver from their non-disclosure agreements so that they can speak freely about what happened to them. I really wanted to believe everyone that didn't know the extent of it, Johnson told the intelligencer. They made it seem like this was out of the blue and there wasn't even a baseline knowledge at all. This just seems like they were lying. It seems like they were not being truthful to me. Johnson said that Schmidt finally called him following the Times' story in January to apologize for what Weaver had done and offered to pay for his therapy. Johnson was not alone, though, among interns who say they were harassed by Weaver, starting at the Lincoln Project. One of them was Charlie Stevens, 19-year-old rising sophomore, at Louisiana State University when he was con contacted by Weaver this past June. Weaver asked if, if uh, asked him if him or any of his peers might be interested in an internship to help kick the blank out of Trump and against Senate Republican incumbents. So what I don't get, by the way, their argument that they're Republicans who are never Trumpers, why is it that the Senate Republicans have to go as well? Is it, is it anyone who's connected to Trump? Because they're not Republicans. So Stevens said he was interested, and a week later, Weaver responded that he'd be perfect. A week later than that, uh, Stevens told Weaver he formally applied to the role. You are an effing stud, Weaver said. When Stevens demurred, saying that that was quite the compliment, Weaver respond, responded, take it. Hell, you may very well be. What? Okay, I mean, geez. Stevens was hired, and by the way, there's a reason I'm going through all of this. Doesn't it, you know? Not I don't want to, but this is what these people who are looked at as heroes by the Democrat Party. These are their true heroes. This is the side of the Democrat Party that no one in mainstream media wants to talk about. Stevens was hired in July on Weaver's recommendation and placed at Steslow's firm. After Steslow was warned Weaver might be offering jobs to victims, Steslow did not respond, by the way, 
to comments, uh, requests for comments. Stevens said that the situation is played out now and it makes him question why he was even hired and is worthwhile while working at the company. Looking back on it, I kind of wish we would have realized this entire makeup of this is odd, said Stevens of Weaver and the company. I was like, is this really why I got this internship? Former employees now faulted the Lincoln Project for continuing to hire the interns recommended by Weaver after receiving a warning. Again, another warning here. He would dangle job opportunities to potential victims. It's just enraging to know that they were enabling and they perp or perpetuated that they were uh, this kind of behavior. And it didn't take action until it just came out. There was knowledge of Weaver and his history. And yet there were people directly brought on who were recommended by him. So I still don't know what to say why that was the case. The former employee said that. In August, Weaver took a medical leave of absence from the Lincoln Project owing to what Schmidt and Wilson called a cardiac problem. Weaver practically disappeared from company business around the time and former employees said that this was leading them to believe the company had sidelined him over the allegations in the fall though weaver re-emerged the lincoln project said weaver proposed a large-scale operation that it rejected he also was on uh an october 11th episode of 60 minutes in mid-october weaver started communicating with johnson again Asking him about his Aggie boy, the term he used to reference Johnson's boyfriend. He said, you in town this week? After Trump was defeated the following month, the Lincoln Project's future looked bright with plans to become a media business. But the company soon began to shrink. Many of the interns left after the election. In December, co-founders Steslo, Mike Madrid, left the company. Then... The allegations against Weaver moved into public view. First on Twitter, then at the American conservative, Ryan uh, Gerdusky, who we give all the credit to. Uh, we were reporting on his story. And finally, the Times, New York Times we're talking about, by the way. To the men I made uncomfortable through my messages that I viewed as consensual mutual conversations at the time, I'm truly sorry, Weaver said. They were inappropriate and it was because of my failings that this discomfort was brought on you. And now, Steve Schmidt, by the way, who think well, he's such a great guy, right? Knew about this the whole time. Tells the intelligencer, as soon as that time story was published, he sent an email to Weaver that read, F you, John, 14-year-old boy, F you. You are a liar. You are a predator. You have no honor. Thank God McCain is gone. F you. Wow. I mean, isn't, isn't this a guy who, who was praising John McCain? John McCain, the biggest rhino Republican in the history? By the way, Romney's up there. Sass too. The Lincoln Project also condemned its co-founder as a predator, a liar, and an abuser in a statement. Weaver, in his statement, said he's not finished with his life's work. I hope that by telling this truth, at long last, my family and I can move forward. I plan to continue the fight for liberty, justice, and human rights that's been my life's work. Now, Johnson, the senior from Texas, is not, a, not certain he wants to continue in politics, saying he worries Weaver's behavior wasn't the expect, exception in the industry, but the rule. I'm afraid this stuff goes on more than anyone knows leading me back to the point of telling this entire story that the democrat party is the party of pedophiles very disgusting to say but also very very true the biggest three things that being power money sex that drives people well that's the democrat party through and through when they tell you they're working on behalf of the American, look at it, it, you can liken it to impeachment. Well, why are they doing this power? Well, when they tell you that they're working for the American people and the greater good of this country, it couldn't be anything further from the truth. Those are the three things that drive people. 
throughout life. But once you get into public office, though, and this is where my beef is now, you should be working for your constituents, working for the American people, working for the good of this country. There's a very few amount of politicians that actually do this, and they very rarely get held accountable in the mainstream media. But when I see things like this with the Lincoln Project and John Weaver and these impeachment managers and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and Pelosi and Schumer and everyone who's acted in the same and used the same exact language and now they want to impeach Donald Trump over that, then I call it out because the media is supposed to hold politicians accountable. Andrew Cuomo. Now they're going to start reporting on this story from Andrew Cuomo. We've been talking about it since last March when the order happened. Then into April, and then we've stayed on top of it all throughout. That's what the media is supposed to do. Hold prominent politicians accountable. You think the pathological, prolific, pathetic liars in our mainstream media do that anymore? Of course they don't. They have become Democrats. That's what they are. We have Democrats in the media. We have Democrats in big tech. We have the Democrat Party themselves. We have Democrat professors indoctrinating students. I mean, listen, as uh, all, the, all just basically every single politician has said, it's a fight. Yet they impeach Donald Trump when he says fight. But this is a, this it, it truly is though. That's what this is. This is a fight. And we as conservatives right now, we're on defense. For the next 1,438 days, we're on defense. Look at it as a game. Look at it as a fight. Look at it as a battle. But I'll tell you what, this is one that we dare not lose.